Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we'll be recapping what happened against the Arizona Coyotes in Winnipeg's home game, the second of a three-game homestand, and talking a little bit about the curious case of Cody Eakin, or rather a case that isn't all that curious, but seems to divide Jets Twitter anyways. Without further ado, let's jump right into the first period, in which Winnipeg, in the first couple of minutes, looked a little bit slow against Arizona. I felt like the Coyotes had a lot of jump to their game and a lot of pace, and Winnipeg traditionally doesn't handle pace well, especially in the defensive zone. That was evident a bit early, and I felt like Arizona had a couple of decent shots and deflections on net, some of which almost got through to Hellebuck, and a couple of which were very close to scoring, but ultimately the Jets kind of kept it scoreless. Unlike the game against the Knights where I felt like the Jets did a little bit more to try and clear the crease, even when they had rebound opportunities that were coming against them, I felt like the Jets were a lot more stationary tonight against a very aggressive, fast Yotes team. Defensively, Arizona kind of plays fast and loose, much like the rest of their squad, so I kind of felt like if the Jets could generate even a little bit of offensive pressure and get things going, Arizona would start to fold a little bit. Unfortunately, that didn't really happen for most of the first five minutes, and Winnipeg definitely had a lot of trouble getting out of the defensive zone. That started to change as we neared the midway point, and the Jets looked like they were warming more up to the task. I actually felt like Winnipeg was starting to create a couple of nice offensive opportunities and looks and get a little bit more open, which was something that the Jets hadn't been able to do previously, at least in the early goings. But as they started to get more zone possession time and get a bit of a cycle going, Arizona's skaters had trouble clearing their own zone as well. The Jets started progressively applying more and more pressure as the period went on, and the Jets actually got really close to scoring a couple of times. Darcy Kemper, I thought, was pretty sharp for Arizona and kept it scoreless, at least for the early goings. Winnipeg, which had been dominating most of the period after, I guess, the midway point, unfortunately conceded the first goal, this one to Nick Schmaltz. Uh, Neil Pionk ended up getting walked after Jack Roslevic was sitting high in the uh, defensive zone, and I don't think that Roslevic was really... 100% at fault. I do think that he probably should have improvised and recognized that Schmaltz was going to cut in between him and Pionk. Pionk kneeled down. It was maybe him expecting like a shot or something, but instead Schmaltz just kind of danced around him because there was plenty of space, cut inside the center slot, and then just kind of tucked at home past Hellebuck. Connor had never really had a chance, so I, uh, I can't really blame the goaltending there. Obviously the team defense let Hellebuck down pretty badly. This is just kind of one of those brain fart, you know, dumb sequences that really shouldn't be happening at this level. But this is the Jets' defense right now, so, you know, at this point I kind of expect it. I was a little bit disappointed that they conceded so easily and that all of the defenders and skaters just kind of um, backed off a bit. The Jets definitely didn't sit back that, you know, after that. They definitely attacked a lot and were in the offensive zone frequently and created some really good shooting opportunities and, and scoring chances. But then again, Winnipeg, right before the end of the period, conceded another really ugly goal. This one from, I think it was credited to Carl Soderberg. Someone, I think it might have been Ehlers, got a bit dummied in the neutral zone. And then a number of other Winnipeg skaters and defenders basically let Soderberg and a couple of other guys walk in almost unpressured. And it was just, well, the rest is history. So I kind of feel like Winnipeg was actually not that bad in the first period. Unfortunately, what's kind of bitten this team before is an attention to detail. 
and those details were missing on the defensive side of things, which ends up leading the Jets to a 2-0 deficit. The second period was a bit more of the same in the sense that the Jets' defense was struggling a bit. I feel like Arizona got a couple of nice little breakaways or some sequences where the Jets' gap gapping in, in defensive coverage was a little bit weak. The funny thing was I don't feel like the Jets were actually bad. It's just that when they weren't in the offensive zone, Winnipeg was struggling to contain Arizona's speed because those breakout passes and counters would kind of catch the Jets a little bit flat-footed. Winnipeg had some really great A opportunities, and I felt like one of the most obvious ones that didn't somehow pan out was a 3-on-0, where Kyle Connor was cutting down the central slot and had really a wide-open look on Kemper, and after you know Connor's been scoring so many goals, you'd think he'd take the shot, but instead he saw Blake Wheeler coming down the right flank, and then he just kind of laid off a pass that really should have just been the shot, and the pass gets picked off by Jordan Esterly and broken up. You know, what's really funny is Kyle Connor literally never passes. I mean, that's that's not really true, but in sequences like that, you really want a guy who is noted to be a sniper to take the shot. Wheeler is great at scoring, and it's a tap-in for him, but honestly, man, just take the shot. That's that's what he's getting paid for. He's a natural goal scorer, and that's the kind of opportunity that he needs to just thieve. So, really frustrating. Uh, a little bit later, the Jets ended up having a nice breakout pass from Tucker Pullman to Nick Ehlers, and Ehlers totally burned Oliver ekman Larson for a beautiful, uh, at least deficit-cutting goal that brought it down to one goal down. Ehlers on breakaways is kind of a running joke in Winnipeg just because his finishing has sometimes been not so great, even when he's unpressured. This time he had somebody hounding him, and he just still beat the coverage perfectly. Tucked it past Kemper, beautiful goal, and the Jets were right back in it. Even still, Winnipeg's defense was a little bit nervy, and Connor Hellebuck had to be sharp on several opportunities where Arizona was cutting it real close. A couple of breakaways, Arizona just straight up missed or shanked, but there were some really chaotic bouncing pucks and things where the Jets' defense wasn't really clearing the crease, and Winnipeg almost conceded multiple times. The funny thing is it's not like the Coyotes are all that strong uh, in either end of the ice. I mean, they're a decent team. But I think that they're kind of like the Jets in that they rely heavily on goaltending to mask some of their other deficiencies. They can definitely score and hurt you, but I don't think that the Jets were as clean and crisp as they needed to be. The couple of power plays that the Jets had, I think they had two or three. All of them were mm, not so great. I feel like one of them were Patrick Liney had a couple of great looks. Unfortunately, Neil Pionk's passing again kind of let him down. Pionk passing from the point just never seems to have any pace whatsoever. I don't really understand how it's possible for Pionk to not get these passes off any faster than he is right now, but it's very frustrating. Line has to, like, triple his shot power, and it usually goes wide, just to compensate for the fact that, you know, the goalie has a ton of time to read this shot, the pass is very slow, and the cross-seam movement just isn't there. So, it's just not really the best way to do that. Putting Morrissey there is probably not the exact solution, but it might be better than having Pionk, because Neil just doesn't seem to have... Um, the passing acumen to really pull that off for some reason. Right before the end of the period, Winnipeg ended up actually tying the game, this time off of a couple of sequences that involved, of all people, Cody Eakin. Eakin hasn't been great for the Jets, and I'll talk more about that later, but he had a couple of really close-in scoring opportunities, one of which was a shot that led to a rebound, and Tucker Pullman somehow collected the puck on a, a late trailing sequence and ended up tying the game. It's kind of funny because Pullman has definitely struggled this season, but every now and then he just seems to find a unicorn goal somewhere that's very important for this team, so hopefully he can keep scoring because the Jets kind of need that. I think for the first period, one of the couple of things I, I felt really bugged me was a little bit of a sloppy defensive approach, and in the second period that really didn't change. 
I think the other thing that I noticed was there was a, a lack of clinical finishing, which is not something that you usually associate with this team. The Jets are the kind of team that have had to rely on clinical finishing because usually they aren't creating all that many opportunities. So when those opportunities do emerge, Winnipeg has to capitalize. Thankfully, towards the end of that second period, they started inching closer and closer to those opportunities where at some point the pucks were going to go in against Kemper. I kind of feel like the Jets just need to be comfortable taking risks because it's clear that the defensive structure and defenders aren't really equipped to, say, contain a lot of uh, defensive zone slot pressure. Arizona kind of did some of the same things that the Vegas Golden Knights did, only Arizona was a little bit closer to connecting on a couple of opportunities, and I feel like Winnipeg has to be careful going forward. By careful, I mean the Jets just need to be a little bit more aggressive and attacking and be comfortable with their D essentially engaging in the offensive zone. I don't want to see a guy like Bo Yu jumping in that much, but if Pullman activates a little bit more or uses his slap shots a bit more, I'm fine with that. The way Pullman added support to Eakin's offensive rush and chance in tight, I think, was the right move. That's what I want to see more of, and that's the kind of thing that the Jets should probably be comfortable using because Pullman defensively is going to struggle. So you can kind of use his booming shot and somewhat decent offensive positioning more to your advantage if you're actually asking him to apply pressure. That goal was a nice sequence, and I feel like that was one of uh, Aiken's most directly positive contributions, even after he missed the initial attempt where he kind of skied a shot. Boy, oh boy, though, man, if you wanted exciting hockey that occasionally involved Cody Eakin, the third period was absolutely your kind of game. This was a very chaotic period that just seemed like a constant pendulum swing, where each team would go back and forth, back and forth, creating some really high danger chances, um, exchanging a lot of shots and really nice odd man situations. Just a very crazy period all in all. Even though Natural Stat Trick actually has the second period as having the most high danger chances, eight for Winnipeg and six for Arizona, which is absolutely insane when you think about the fact that you might actually get that many per team for an entire game. You might have thought the third period was somehow going to take a bit more of a lax approach, but no. No, the third period was just as intense, just as tightly contested, but I, I really feel like both teams gave their all, and I feel like the Jets were just a bit better. Eventually, though, the team that broke through was the team that arguably deserved the win, and that was Winnipeg. Here, the Jets actually managed to claw a nice Cody Eakin goal, this time off of a faceoff in the offensive zone, Ehlers and Laine kind of combined to get the puck just a bit enough out of the uh, out of the scrum, and all Aiken had to do was grab the puck, kind of skate ahead of a, a sprawling Kemper, wait just long enough for Kemper to be out of range of recovery, and then backhand it in. Obviously, it's a little more complicated at full speed because, yes, he did have to do a, a good deal of work holding the puck and maintaining possession while fending off some defenders, but this is the kind of thing that a guy and the NHL is going to 100% want to have an opportunity to take advantage of. When your line mates are as good as Ehlers and Line A, I mean, those guys can just feed you all the chances that you desire as long as you are fast enough to take advantage. And actually, for once, Aiken was more involved in the play. I felt like this was probably his best overall game as a Jet, and the funniest thing was, I don't know that he was all that amazing because um, there were some times where he wasn't really an active participant in some of the offensive zone sequences and neutral zone transitions, but when he was there and involved, his contributions were usually more positive than negative. Obviously, I still don't think he's Winnipeg's long-term 2C option, but he had an okay game relative to his standards. He'd basically been invisible for most of the other games or an active detriment in other situations, but tonight he had a couple of really positive contributions. If I had to pick a couple of MVPs from the game, I think the first one is obviously going to be Connor Hellebuck. 
I think Hellebuck was outstanding, especially when they had the goalie pulled. But throughout the entire night, he had to make a lot of really complicated saves where uh, Arizona would kind of fire the puck from really close range. They basically controlled Winnipeg's slot, which is not that surprising because Winnipeg, under a lot of pressure and stress and speed, tends to collapse and really can't defend that central slot area. For the volume of attempts that the Jets couldn't really defensively manage, Hellebuck seemed to have the answer on almost every single sequence. After that rough first period where there wasn't much that he could do, he basically shut down Arizona for the rest of the game, and he was just absolutely spectacular. Darcy Kemper was very nearly just as good, and in fact had some equally dangerous opportunities that he had to be responsible for, but ultimately Hellebuck ended up prevailing in what was a really close, uh, highly contested, very tight contest. This was an extremely even game with a ton of offense, a lot of pace, a lot of, uh, I guess, pre-shot movement that fooled the goalies, but ultimately both of those guys stood really tall for their teams, and Hellebuck ended up winning the duel by kind of a miracle in some respects. The top six also had a really strong outing, and even though the first line really didn't record any meaningful even-strength points like you might expect, I think that that line was buzzing in the offensive zone the entire night. I think that they were a little bit unlucky, I also think that there were a couple of decisions here and there where, like, a guy like Kyle Connor might need to shoot instead of pass it, but other than that, I think the first line had one of its most productive offensive scoring opportunity creation nights out there. They looked pretty lively for once, which is kind of a rarity. The second line with Ehlers and Line was absolutely buzzing, and Eakin got to benefit a couple of times uh, and then found himself in some really good, um, I guess, shooting lanes, a couple of decent passing lanes. For once, Aiken was actually participating in some of the play. Usually he's behind, but tonight he was able to keep up a little bit better, which is kind of important because Ehlers and Line just seem to move at warp speed at all times. You wouldn't think it when you see Line kind of just slowly stride across the ice, but in fact, he seems to cover a lot of ground quickly, and his brain covers the rest of the ice that he's not physically on. Just a really solid, solid outing from the top six, and I feel like it basically carried the Jets, especially against a potent Yotes offense that seemed very capable of striking at any time. Speaking of time, if you've got a moment, and are a local business, you're going to want to stay tuned for this brief announcement. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you've no doubt heard about all of the great advertisers currently working with Locked On to reach sports fans around the globe. What you may not know, though, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is the perfect opportunity for your local business to reach passionate Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local Jets fans on a routine basis. Our listeners are unique among podcast listeners and are diehard sports fans. If your business is looking to connect with Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then feel free to drop us a line at Locked On as soon as possible. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising for more information. Our team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, be sure to text advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Well, I guess you probably want to know the most hot-pressing narrative of this entire podcast, and that is the curious case of Cody Eakin, which for some reason has continued to divide Jets fans all across Twitter, even though I think the debate really isn't that complicated, generally speaking. I picked a really funny time to have this conversation because Cody Eakin actually had a pretty productive outing relative to his standards tonight. Uh, One might even say it was actually pretty good, generally speaking, but 
I think we're going to have to be realistic about the rest of the season. Eakin was acquired for a depth pick, but the real issue is that he's paid a lot of money and he was basically getting scratched on a regular basis by the Knights because he wasn't really doing much for them in, in the first place. Eakin used to play with guys like Stone, Marchiso, Smith, yada yada yada, you get the idea. He was always on lines with a lot of productive players, and he ended up scoring quite a few goals when he was first with the Knights. A lot of people probably thought that that's the player that we were getting when he traded for him, but the reality for Eakin is that he's basically around a sort of average-ish NHL center. And I mean average-ish in the bottom six sense. He's probably like a third or fourth liner at this stage of his career. In my opinion, I think his single biggest issue is that he's kind of slow. And it's not that he's, you know, Matt Hendricks slow, but occasionally he does near those moments. I feel like for a guy who's actually not a terrible skater, he has a surprising lack of mobility. A lot of times he just seems to be tied up in front of the net or behind the play if there's an offensive rush the other way. And when he's trying to defend in the defensive zone, he just seems to kind of park himself in a stationary position and doesn't really cover anyone in particular. In a lot of respects, I imagine that he tries to use his physicality and his body positioning to do stuff like uh, force turnovers or try to win battles in front of the net or at least mark his man in in the defensive zone. But generally speaking, I don't think it actually has that much of an impact. When you look at his his isolated impact from Michael Blake McCurdy, the heat maps are not super kind to Eakin and it probably matches with what you're seeing on the ice. In the defensive zone, there's a big red spot in the central area right in front of the net, which is kind of where Eakin will park himself when he's trying to win battles against opposing forwards to prevent deflections. And then in the offensive zone, there's like a bit of a red spot between the uh, the two face-off circles, but beyond that, Eakin's not really taking that many shots from the most highest danger areas right in front of the opposing goalie. I haven't seen like a, a crapload of Eakin coming into t- these past couple of games when he's joined the Jets, but I think generally speaking from what I, I've seen, I think that the theme is probably the same thing. Eakin has trouble just getting up the ice, and I feel like when he gets in front of the net, he's usually kind of pushed out of the way, and he's not an overly physical guy. So a lot of the bigger defensemen will kind of push him around a bit. He's also not usually in a position to take advantage of his line mates, and I feel like Ehlers and Line move at such a high speed and have such, I guess, galaxy brain playmaking reads. Galaxy brain in the good way, not the totally ironic sense. I just mean that they, they read the play at an extremely high level. They have a very high IQ for spatial awareness, for decision making, for pre-shot movement. These guys are just dynamite together, and you need a center who can keep up. Aiken tends to be somebody who's a little bit behind the play, and I feel like oftentimes that's kind of the issue why he's not really able to get to that low slot area. Ideally, I feel like you need somebody who's got a bit of a greasy for checking ability to sort of drive towards the net and basically be a net front body, a physical presence, but also possess some soft hands to, to put one in the net and make the best use of line A and Ehlers, because those guys will feed you all day. And if he can get Line in a little bit more space, he's also got one of the best shots in the league, in case you didn't know that already. Barring tonight, Aiken really wasn't in many positions where he could take advantage of either of his line mates, and most often it was just Ehlers and Line in the offensive zone doing their thing. I think if you put Aiken on the fourth line with, say, somebody like Mason Appleton, I think that that would actually work a lot better. I think, uh, you know, we've already seen slow centers in having Blake Wheeler anchor that second line uh, center role for a while now. With Wheeler back with Shifley on the top line, this now necessitates a bit of a rejiggering of what the Jets are trying to do, and I feel like Aiken just isn't the long-term answer. 
I don't think that the Jets really see that either, but if they do, then there's kind of a disconnect for me. Aiken has occasionally been Winnipeg's worst forward, which is, you know, I know that that sounds bad, but, you know, considering Bork and Shaw have both been benched more regularly, you have a lot of competition for quality forwards. Even the guys who are struggling sometimes, like Roslovic, who's a little bit inconsistent, still are able to create more chances and do more in the offensive zone than Eakin has. For Eakin to really earn his second-line role, he's going to have to do a lot of stuff that he's probably not capable of at this stage of his career, but I think the biggest thing is that he just has to not be holding his line mates back. Go for the offensive zone, make sure that you're in central attacking lanes like he was tonight, get closer to the net and create some havoc, and then profit off of those with some points. Beyond that, I have no real expectations for him because I think that that's just kind of where he is. He's like a, a bottom six center playing in an elevated role. So, you know, hopefully Ehlers and Line can get him some points while taking advantage and scoring on their own as well. We'll see what happens for the rest of the season, but I think Aiken is definitely going to be on his way out after the conclusion of the year. Given what his current contract is and what he'd probably be asking for, I think it's probably best that he's only a rental this time, and at least he wasn't that expensive. Thanks guys for listening. Just be aware that at the end of this week we're going to have some more special content coming to you straight from the GameWorn Collecting Community, more stories from the GameWorn Community continuing our series from a couple of weeks ago. There's always a good time to be had talking to those guys and they have some really wonderful stories that you're not likely to hear from anybody else. I hope you all have enjoyed this edition of Locked On Winnipeg Jets. Now be sure to tune your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL, our national show. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.